Well, we're here in Colossians 3, and we're continuing this study through this incredible book. And today we come to those very personal passages that I warned you about last week. Uh, Paul has been so encouraging for us as he's reminded us of the truth of the gospel, that Jesus Christ, the one who rules and reigns over everything, is the one who came to die on the cross to pay the price for our sins. But not only did he die in our place to pay for our sins, but he also rose from the dead giving us his righteous life this is that double imputation that we talked about that theological phrase that means not only did he pay for our sin but he gave us new life his mercy and grace in action in our lives through the power of the gospel and last week we talked about the reality of our standing with Christ what is it that changes in our lives when we are raised with Christ? And we had three things. We said that we have been raised with Christ. We said we are hidden with Christ. And then we discovered that we will be revealed in Christ. So we talked about the reality of who we are in Christ. What a powerful and encouraging message from God's word to think about what it is that the Lord has done for us and how that changes our lives. Friends, if you didn't leave encouraged last week I want you to go back and read verses one through four again because it is an absolutely encouraging passage of scripture yet while we were encouraged of the reality of our standing with Christ we also couldn't help but be confronted with the truth that we don't always live in the reality of who we are in Christ so over the next few weeks, Paul is going to get personal as we think about how the reality of our standing with Christ should change the reality of our walk with Christ. Who we are in Christ should be who we are, period. Like full stop right there. Who we are in Christ should define us, lead us, and cause us to live in a radically different way. And that's an incredible truth, but, but we were kind of just honest with one another last week and said, yeah, it's kind of hard to actually walk in that. Like, like we don't know that we do live in the reality of who we are in Christ. Well, if you're wondering if you are living in that today, I want to just encourage you by telling you that over the next couple of weeks, Paul is going to give us a very clear picture of what it looks like to live in the reality of who we are, to walk in the reality of who we are. So uh, with the Lord's help, let's study his word together. We're going to start in verse 5 of Colossians 3. The word of the Lord says this, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Would you pray with me again? Oh Lord, as we come to this text, I pray that you would help us submit to it. Uh, God, we don't want to read our own wills or desires onto this text, uh, but Lord, we want to be molded and shaped by your word and your truth in this moment. So God, guide us, direct us, and give us ears to hear in this time. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 
Well, y'all, there's so much happening in this text. I, I want to preach so much of it, but I only have a limited amount of time today, and I want y'all to still have some pastor appreciation by the time I'm done this morning. So uh, I, I want to tell you, you know, some of the things that I'm not going to address in a lot of detail are things we've addressed before. So there's this pretty shocking phrase that says, the wrath of God is coming. And we've talked about that in talking about the gospel, that Jesus has paid the price for our sins. Why did we have a price to be paid? Because the wrath of God is coming on those who are sinners apart from Christ. So the only way for us to avoid the wrath of God is to be in Christ. So what Paul is gonna be saying in this text is that, hey, the wrath of God is coming for these things and you guys have already been saved from the wrath of God, so why are you still living for these things? So there's so much happening here we could talk about so many things but really what we need to focus on is what we find in verses 9 and 10 the the really heart of this text that talks about putting off the old self and putting on the new self we talked last week about being raised with Christ, becoming a brand new creation. We said when you come to know Jesus, you literally die to yourself and you are made brand new. And that new life comes with a new way of living, new values, new way of life, new motives, new attitudes, and yes, even new morals. But if you're a Christ follower, you would just probably level with me today that we've got a big problem with that. And the problem with that is our flesh. While the inner man is certainly being renewed daily, as we find in other passages, and verse 10 even mentions, the reality is we are still human. We still have this sin nature fighting us day in and day out. But, but I need you to hear my heart today and hear the word of God. Paul is not saying in this text, put away these things in order to be saved. No, 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 no. Notice the order in this text. Verse one said, if then, and we said that's actually better translated, since then you have been raised with Christ. Because you are a brand new creation, the call is to put away these things. I meet so many people who think they can't come to church, that they can't be saved, that they can't really get right with God until they quote unquote fix their lives. They think there are too many sins, they have too many struggles, there are too many things that look not like Jesus in their life for them to come to Jesus. But friends, I need to tell you today, if you wait to get your life in order to come to Jesus, you will never come to Jesus. Coming to Jesus is the way that we do fix our lives. It's the way we work this life out is to be in Christ. And once we are in Christ, we need to understand what that means. If you are in Christ today, hear me when I say this. God loves you. Right now, God loves you as much as he will ever love you. His love for you is not based on your morality. His love for you is not based on your behavior. His love for you is not based on your religious rule keeping. The love of God for you that is just undeniably massive and beyond our comprehension, that love is based solely on the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and the gospel of Jesus. So if you are saved today, you need to know that God loves you today. Oh, but church, when you encounter this love, it is absolutely transformational. You can't help but be changed. 
And here's the hard truth that I want to say today. If you are living like the world today, if you are not convicted by your sin, if you are sinning and loving it, then there is reason to question if you really know Jesus. Now, you may say to me, well, pastor, that doesn't really seem fair that you would say that. Well, well, what if I were to tell you that there was a man who said he loves his wife, yet he continually, over a long period of time, continues to pursue other women? You would not tell me that he loves his wife. In the same way, if you've truly encountered the love of God displayed through the gospel of Jesus Christ, the only response that really makes any sense It is for us to love him with everything we have and seek to live in his ways. Well, church, I want to tell you today, and I want to encourage you by letting you know that real transformation in your life is possible. You can really change today. God has created you to walk in his ways. You can walk in holiness. You can walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. And I know that even right now, some of you are thinking about your besetting sins and the struggles that that you just cannot seem to find victory over. And I'm not saying that today, after this amazing message, that you're never gonna fail again. Like, I wish I could say that, but I can't. But what I am saying today is that freedom is possible in Christ. So let's talk about how this works itself out in our text. The first thing we see is this command and call to put off the old self. The language in verse 5 is intentionally intense and dramatic. Put to death what is earthly in you. The literal translation of the Greek text would say something along the lines of put to death the members of the earth. The old Puritan theologians would say the term mortify the flesh put to death the flesh. Now, some have taught in error that the Bible would teach us to literally like hurt our flesh in order to somehow be more spiritual. In fact, some of those yahoos have used this passage to try in some weird way to justify that. But to those who would use that for that purpose, I would say, did you read chapter two? Because do you remember just a couple weeks ago, we saw that, that Paul very clearly says, what are you guys doing with all this asceticism and all that? Like, that's not what it's about. So what you need to understand that Paul is, is not saying that we should hurt our flesh in order to put it to death. I love what the New American Standard says, a very literal translation. It says, therefore, put, uh, sorry, therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to, and then it lists these sins. So it says, hey, consider your flesh dead to this old way of life. And it lists these items out. So what the call of verse five really is, friends, is this. Ruthlessly deal with the sin in your life. Ruthlessly deal with the sin in your life. Be serious about dealing with your sin. This is very difficult in our modern world. Why? Because our modern world not only minimizes sin today, but in fact, we even celebrate it in many ways. Look at the specific sins mentioned by Paul. I want to kind of break these into two categories as Paul does in the text. First, we're going to look at what I'm calling the fleshly sins. In verse 5, Paul specifically mentions sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, and idolatry. Friends, is there anything more minimized in our culture today than sexual immorality? And I'm talking about even inside and outside of the church. 
These terms sexual immorality, impurity, and passion speak directly to sex outside of a God-ordained marriage. The word impure spoke to sex acts outside of God's natural creation, so homosexuality and pedophilia and things like that. This word passion speaks to out-of-control lust. So all of these terms together give us such a clear picture from God's word that any sexual activity outside of a marriage between a husband and a wife is considered sexual immorality. And Paul says very clearly today, put it away. Oh, for some of us in here today, obeying Jesus is going to mean changing some things. Married or unmarried, we struggle with the temptations to embrace and flirt with sexual immorality on a moment-by-moment basis. Your social media apps are selling you sex. The television shows and the entertainment we consume are selling you sex. The news, even, is selling sex. This little G God of use tends to be what our culture is promoting like never before. And here's the wild thing. As you get to be your own little God, our modern culture has decided that the way you are defined, in fact, they literally use this word identity, that your identity is wrapped around your sexual desires and preferences, That is what makes you, you, according to the theology of our culture. And to fully express yourself, to fully be the you that you were created to be, you must sex to your heart's content in whatever way you desire or long for. Some of y'all weren't ready for that this morning. But if we're not careful, we so easily fall into this trap. And I think it's way more subtle and sneaky than we would think. Some of you today are ensnared and you don't even know it. Brothers and sisters, put it away. And I'm talking as simple as things because some of you are like, man, you're trying to put these sins on the top shelf so you can get out of this. But I'm saying some of us need to critically analyze and think about what we watch, what we read what we spend time scrolling through on our phones that is constantly feeding us temptation. Paul says, put it away, deal with it. And this word sexual immorality comes from the Greek word porneo, which obviously we get the word pornography from. And statistically speaking, tons of people in this room struggle with pornography. Yet we live in a culture that that has said that's not a struggle. We have normalized this. What God says to put away, we've made normal and acceptable. Brothers and sisters, and yes, I say sisters because statistically speaking, pornography addiction and its fallout is drastically rising among women in our culture. Put it away. Get help, get accountability. There is real freedom in Christ. Put it to death. Friends, don't just play church. I have seen families fall apart because brothers and sisters would not repent and put away sexual immorality, whether that be pornography, emotional affairs, affairs, physical affairs. I have seen families torn apart by sexual immorality. But there is freedom available to you today. Don't just try to ride this out and keep a brave face right now and not deal with your sin. You can save your family could save your family there's freedom in christ put it to death 
It's not just sex. Paul also talks about evil desire, coveting, and idolatry. Not only do we struggle to control our physical wants, we have an out-of-control world of self-promotion. This word uh, desire was used to describe self-indulgence. That's why it's paired with coveting. It's the idea of wanting more and more, never being satisfied with what we have. An insatiable desire to acquire more, whether that be money, whether that be stuff or success or acclaim. We want, at the base of this, friends, to make much of ourselves instead of spending our lives making much of Jesus. That's the great temptation. And we live in a world where that's the norm. We can all be kings and queens of our own little kingdoms and empires, and the American dream really fuels this. It says, go get it, more, faster, better. And we can get lost in this hustle culture that says, keep going. Brothers and sisters, I see so many younger and older adults who are weary and exhausted, even in the midst of what the world would say, that is success. But I got to tell you, the Bible so clearly tells us it will never be enough. You will never find satisfaction in worldly things. I know in 2022, it's not cool anymore, but uh, it was cool at one point in time. And I don't really care if it's cool anymore or not, but I've always enjoyed the band Coldplay. That's fine. Judge away. Uh, Some of you are like, what's a Coldplay? Fine. Just Google it. But in 2008, uh, which is about when they started to get hated on, they had a song that was a smash hit called Viva La Vida. And in this song, it basically describes a king who had everything he wanted but has discovered the complete emptiness of it all. And one of the refrains that is used two or three times in the song is a question. And the question is, who would ever want to be king? And what I would say to Chris Martin and what I would say to you today is that if your kingdom has collapsed If you find yourself looking at the embers of your kingdom that you thought was so important, let me just remind you that it might just be the grace of Jesus that has allowed your cardboard kingdom to be exposed for the foolishness that it is so that you could see that there is a kingdom that is not of this world. There's something greater to live for, and this is the weird lie of the enemy the promise of all of these sins is that they will bring joy and fulfillment and satisfaction, but at the end of the day, we're running around saying, who would ever want this? In the end, they leave us empty and hurting and broken. So it's really God's grace that says, deal with your sin. So hear my heart as we continue this morning. This isn't like, quit doing all these bad things. Like God says it, we should obey it. That should be enough. Yes and amen, right? God says you shouldn't, but, but can I just tell you that even looking, just speaking from wisdom, these things do not satisfy. Like quit, quit doing stupid things that lead you to a place of emptiness and brokenness when there is freedom available in Christ. So not only do we see these fleshly sins, we see what I'm also calling respectable sins. Respectable sins. Now this is borrowed from the excellent Christian writer and thinker, Jerry Bridges. In fact, our ladies did a study a few years ago by Bridges with the title of the same name. And what a respectable sin is, it's the idea of the sins that we all kind of deal with but we kind of act like it's okay because everybody's dealing with them, right? Like we don't really like to address those. Y'all were all about me talking about sexual immorality, but these that I'm about to list, you're like, wait a second, that, that affects me. 
What's harder is that the fleshly sins are often outward and easily identifiable, but these sins are often hard to spot in yourself. But man, aren't they easy to spot in others? I'm really good at finding your sin. So to be clear, all sins are fleshly sins, but, but these respectable sins are ones that are a little harder for us. Verse eight, Paul says again, using this language, put them all away, and then he lists them. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk, and lying. Let's talk about first anger, wrath, and malice. The word here used for anger is talking really, uh, especially when it's paired with wrath, is talking about an inner disposition of anger constantly being angry to the point that you know like anger isn't a mood it's like a personality at this point it's kind of who you are and then that personality turns to wrath which is really the idea of actions that are motivated by hate and anger and that leads to malice which is doing things motivated by evil toward other people and when you think of that progression, I think obviously we think of acts of terror. We think about hate crimes and things like that. And certainly those would qualify in this progression. And you would love for me to focus on that because then we can say, yeah, those people. But the fact is, don't we all too often find ourselves living with a root of anger that then leads to wrath, that then leads to hatred towards others and malevolent living wishing ill towards others, doing ill towards others, and doing it from a position that in some weird way, again, your, your inner lawyer is so good, y'all. We find it almost like a place of righteousness, the way that we're acting toward other people. And then these other sins that follow, slander, obscene talk, and lying to and about others, really come from the, the root of that same struggle. I just got to tell you, so many families are destroyed. So, yeah, I meant what I said, and I wanted that to be awkward when I said you need to repent if you're in sexual immorality, that your family can be destroyed. And that one, again, I think that, that you recognize that, but we hide that. But so many of you are living with an inner disposition of anger. Brothers and sisters, you can destroy your family if you don't deal with this sin. Anger from a situation becomes an inner disposition of anger towards your family and friends becomes kind of like you know the classic shots fired verbally from time to time becomes eventually even making plans to intentionally poke and prod others until families and friend groups offices and neighborhoods can literally be torn apart by these sins and what's tragic is that if you have a church background, many of you, if you've grown up in your church your whole life, you've seen this progression happen and destroy church families. Do not let the root of anger, bitterness, and unforgiveness destroy your relationships, your family, your friendships, our church. As Christ followers, we're commanded to put it away, to deal with the sins that can so quickly derail our lives. So how do we do that today? How do we deal with these sins? How do we put these to death? Well, I'm gonna tell you again that this isn't a cure-all message. I think there are some basic things that can be said for confession of our sins that the word calls us to, to your spouse, to maybe your life group, your discipleship group, accountability partners, brothers and sisters in Christ that you trust. 
And while all that's helpful and we could take a lot of time to talk about those things, I want to get to what the text talks about, a spiritual principle that really affects everything else. People sometimes will say, you, you know, what, we need some practical help, Pastor. Can I tell you, you can't get practical tools without having the theological knowledge of how to apply those practical tools. So how is it that we deal with our sin? Well, Paul offers this in the text. The way that we put off the old self is to put on the new self. Verse 10 says this, and having put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So in the same way that we have to ruthlessly deal with sin, Paul says we must intentionally put on Christ. We're gonna talk in a little more detail about what this looks like next week, but for today, I want us to see that this is an intentional process of letting Christ renew our minds. As verse 10 said, putting on the new self means first that we have a renewed mind, a renewed mind. Friends, this inner disposition that we talked about last week is so important. As we have our hearts and minds set on Jesus, it changes our inner disposition. It changes our mind, the things we think about and the things we do. Let me just tell you, friends, it's hard to watch porn when your hearts and minds are set on Jesus. It's hard to hate your brothers and sisters when your hearts and your minds are set on Jesus. When you are consumed with the love of God, our natural response will be to walk with him. Again, this is where the theological does become practical. Because developing a renewed mind is a spiritual discipline that we need to develop together with the Lord. With the Lord's help, we need to do this. Our natural inclination is not to set our hearts and our minds on Christ. So this takes you saying, I'm going to be intentional in this. It means getting in God's word, letting his words be the words that guide and guard your day. Y'all, how often do we wake up and the vast majority of America today, statistics bear this out, the overwhelming majority of America today, the first thing you do when you wake up is reach over and grab that device. It's the first thing we do. And some of you are like, <laughs> millennials, I go and make a cup of coffee and turn on Fox News. <laughs> Not a lot different. What are the inputs you're putting in your life, friends? It has a way of discipling you. Everybody is being discipled, whether you know it or not. Are you being discipled by Jesus from his word, from your time with him? Are you being discipled by cable news, by social media, by Twitter, and all of the various things you can get lost in? Or are you just wasting time? Friends, your inner disposition is set by where we set our hearts and our minds, and this takes intentionality. And when we focus our day on him, it changes your perspective. As we work to saturate our hearts and our minds with the word of God, as we take time to pray, we will find God renewing our minds. It changes the way that we think and respond to the various things coming at us in our world. That's what it means to put on Christ. When people come to me and share that they are struggling with the sin, that there's something that just has a grip on their lives that they can't get rid of, one of the first questions I ask is, have you been spending time with Jesus? And the reason I do that is because I know that so often in my life, 
when I find myself dealing with a besetting sin in my life, did you know that pastors have those too? That I can, some of y'all amen too quick on that, but, <laughs> but I just gotta tell you, when I find myself in that situation, I can almost always trace it back to not spending time with Jesus in a serious way. Because when I spend time in his word, when I spend time in prayer, it changes my inner disposition. He literally renews my mind. The way we put off the old self and put on the new self is by intentionally letting Jesus renew our minds. But finally, and this is gonna wrap us up. Some of you are getting a little anxious, I can tell. Not only do we have renewed minds, but do you know what Jesus gives us as we put on the new self? He gives us a renewed community. I love this. Like verse 11 is one of the most quoted verses in 2022 these days, but very rarely do you hear it in context. It's usually used to talk about how we should, you know, all get along together. And yes and amen, that's true. But I love that this comes in the context. That's not gonna work. You couldn't preach like, you know, Colossians 3.11 and be like, guys, look, we're all the same. Unity in Christ, amen? No, that doesn't happen until you have put off the old self and put on the new self. Like, I could do a big old sermon series about unity. It ain't gonna work until you put off the old self and put on the new self. But when we do, brothers and sisters, Christ renews our community. Look at verse 11 again. I wanna read it just in case you don't know what I'm talking about. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Here's the reality, church. Sin divides us. It is our desire to please and promote ourselves at all costs. Our idolatry leads to disrupted community, but when we have put off the old self and put on the new self and come together with renewed minds, Jesus unites us. Regardless of social standing, regardless of religious background, regardless of race or ethnicity, Christ is all and in all. This is what should separate the church from the rest of the nonprofit organizations, groups of people in our world and in our culture. I've said this so often to you, but when you look around this room, the question that, all, that should be coming in your mind is, where else in the world is this group of people hanging out together? Like, honestly, when you see the diversity in this room, we've got older people and we have younger people. We have blue collar and we have white collar. We've got classic rock and classical music fans. Beach Boys and Beastie Boys. I can just keep going. <laughs> Dallas Cowboys fans. Lord, pray for my friends who are booing right now. And Kansas City Chiefs fans. Pray for you. All right. But in all seriousness, with all the differences, big and small, that we have in this room, sure there are other places. I've had people come to me after service. Well, what about the schools? What about the. Here's the difference between all that. Like, we're coming here willingly, <laughs> intentionally, and joyfully coming to hang together. It ain't like I got to go to school and we're diverse there. <laughs> No, here we are. Here we are. The body of Christ saying, I can't wait to go and be with this renewed community. And here's, here's the heart of our mission here at Crossroad. We want this renewed community to spill out into the rest of our community. 
we don't want to just keep this to ourselves. This isn't like a, you know, our little enclave of like, hey, check out this renewed community we got. No, we want this renewed community to help renew the community around us and the entire region. And that can happen, but it starts with you and me putting off the old self, putting on Christ intentionally, and letting him renew our minds and continue to renew this community. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that it gives us today, God. We uh, just ask, God, that you would help us. I know in a message like this, it could be easy for uh, me, it could be easy for my brothers and sisters to try to run past the part about dealing with our sins so that we can get to the part about reading our Bibles more and being nice to one another. But Lord, that's not what you would have us do. Before we can put on you we need to deal with the sin that is in our life so God I pray first of all that you would help us have just some real time of repentance today and over the next few days that you would help us make war against our sin from the place of victory knowing that you nailed our sin to the cross and that you have forgiven us and given us new life I pray Lord that my brothers and sisters would walk in that freedom in a new way this week Oh, and then, Lord, help us to put on Christ. Renew our minds. Give us a new inner disposition that spills out into this community that we call Crossroad and then into the community that we call Wichita and all these surrounding towns and cities. Oh, Lord, would you bring revival to a church that says we're going to put off the old ways and put on Christ. You say in your word that when Christ is lifted up, you will draw all people to yourself. So may we be a church that lifts you up.